So today was a pretty crazy, uh, emotionally charged week for me. On Friday night, we had Bravey's two, second birthday, which was amazing. Those who have heard the testimony of Bravelyn's miracle in her life. And then I went to sleep, and the next morning, I got a text that my grandpa had passed away. And so it's like straight from celebrating life of a baby to seeing, getting to celebrate life. My, my grandpa loved Jesus. He walked his, almost his whole life with the Lord, and he passed at an old age, no pain, with his family all around him worshiping. And so it really is a sweet thing. Uh, but it's just been a pretty wild week. Uh, and today I want to teach you guys, you know, I'm a young father. I'm a young father uh, physically. We have kids, but I'm also uh, a young spiritual father in this house. And I was, I was talking with God, and I was asking him about, about being a spiritual father. You know, a lot of you guys are older than I am, and, but, but I'm your father. Surprise. I mean, <laughs> in this house. I mean, the role I carry as a father. I know that because God has given me so much. He's filled me to overflowing with so much. And my heart and my desire is to see all of you get it all so that you can fly, so that you can experience what I've experienced and more. And then I can celebrate what you get to do with Abba Papa. That's what a father is. And that's how I know that I'm a father. So today, uh, I'm really excited because I'm going to have a little bit different uh, style today. I'm not going to be preaching. So, well, I'm always preaching. Uh, so I will be preaching. I take that back. Uh, but I'm going to be sharing more testimonies today, uh, which I'm really excited about. And so today I want to talk to you about God speaking, us hearing, and us obeying. Since I got wrecked forever by the glorious love of Jesus and the power of his spirit, I've had this theme through my life of of getting to experience God speaking to me clearly and getting a choice of what I'm going to do with that. And so I'm going to tell you some of these stories. But when we're talking about purpose, you know, we're kicking off this whole focus on purpose thing. Uh, But when you look at the life of Jesus, he had a pretty obvious purpose. I mean, you know, he came to die and to, to, resu- or to resurrect from the grave and to save us and all that stuff that's part of the gospel. But he came to reveal the Father. And the only way he knew how to reveal the Father was to see what the Father was doing and hear what the Father was saying and then be obedient to it. And you look at the life of Jesus, and that's what purpose looked like. Uh, And so I want to kind of hone in on this idea of purpose from the perspective of learning to hear the voice of God and obey the voice of God. So I want to start with a story. I was on a mission trip in San Luis, Mexico, and I was really excited about this mission trip because I'd been there once before, and we had seen really amazing, we saw lots of people come to Jesus, I got to see miracles happen. I got to do all this stuff, and I was so excited to go back. And so we went back, and we're, but we're going to a different church this time, you know, serving a different ministry. And we got to the church, and I was going to be there for a week. And I walked in, and I'm looking around the building, and my background's in construction. So when I was younger, I spent six or seven years building houses and buildings and stuff, so, so I know buildings well. I walk into this church, and I'm like, oh, man. Like, missionaries must have built this because 
whoever built this did not know what they were doing. Like this thing was very unsafe. The whole roof was in bad shape. And so uh, we talked to the leaders there and they said, we know we don't have materials. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to build. And so my leader said, oh, well, Jared knows how to build and he'll fix your roof. <laughs> and this time, I don't know if it was, it wasn't God at that time speaking to me. It was just the leader. And I said, okay. So uh, it started off, I was super excited, you know, I'm going to get into this. But as I got into the project, it got very involved. And there were some big challenges, structural challenges that I didn't know how to figure out to get this roof, uh, to get it the integrity it needed. And it started like the first day was like eight hours. The second day was like 10 hours. The third day, I worked over 11 hours in the summer in San Luis trying to re-engineer this roof. Had to go into town and have welders weld stuff for posts and all this crazy stuff. And I was not happy because I went to Mexico to heal the sick, to preach the gospel, to love on people, to spend time with people. And I was spending all this time banging my head against a wall trying to figure out what to do with this roof that somebody jacked up. And that was my mission trip. And so I went to God with it, and I complained. What do we do when we get frustrated? What do I do? I go to God and I complain. And so I went to God and I complained. I said, God, this is not what I came here for. And he said, just be faithful to finish it. And I was like, okay. If I'm going to be faithful to finish it, you got to help me out. You need, your Holy Spirit has to help me out. And that night I was laying in bed. I couldn't sleep because I'm thinking, I'm thinking through what, what to do the next day because I don't have the stuff I need to do, what needs to be done. And then Holy Spirit just drops this idea in my head, just like the whole plan. And so I knew exactly what had to be done to finish it. And so I spent the rest of that week working 10, 11-hour days every day for six days working on that roof. And before we left, it all got completed. I left that trip feeling defeated, discouraged, a little bit frustrated. I did not get to see heaven come <laughs> at all. And so that's how that trip ended. And I was kind of like, you know, I, you know, I know I did something good, but, you know, who knows how long that roof has been there, and it's been just fine, you know, so. Well, about two months later, might have been three months later, the, the leader of that mission trip calls me, and he said, Jared, did you hear about what happened in San Luis? And I said, no, I didn't hear about anything that happened in San Luis. And he said, two weeks after we left, they saw the biggest earthquake a mile outside of town. And it was on Sunday morning during worship. And if we hadn't have fixed that roof, it would have fallen on the congregation. And I was like, God, I'm never going to complain again. <laughs> you know, sometimes God calls us to do stuff we don't want to do. Sometimes he calls us to stuff we don't understand. But it's actually not our job to figure all that out. It's just our job to be obedient. You know? And so, I'll tell another story. God, thank you so much. Isn't that just amazing? That's such a cool story, you guys. So another, another story. I was, uh, I was in Monrovia working at the Starbucks uh, by, what is that, Ralph's or Rayleigh's or something over there. 
But I'm working on my computer. I'm a safety professional, risk control consultant. I'm working, and all of a sudden, there's like this commotion out front just outside at the tables. And I saw some people going over, and I saw a commotion. And when I saw it, I heard the Lord say, you need to go pray. And so I got up and walked across Starbucks and went outside. Well, there was a two- or three-year-old girl who was up on a chair holding it like this and leaned forward, and she fell and hit her head in the concrete. And she was on the ground, and she was convulsing. And so I didn't, talk, I didn't even say anything to anyone. I walked over, and I literally just put my hand on her chest, and I started speaking in tongues because <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I just speak in tongues, Lord, bring healing, shopping, all I know. And then until the ambulance came, I didn't, you know, she didn't snap out of it. I didn't see healing. She was in rough shape. And so the ambulance showed up, and the paramedics came around. When the paramedics came there, I, I got up, and I left and went back to my computer. And I sat down and started working. About 20 seconds later, 15 seconds later, her mom left her and came back into Starbucks and came and found me. And she says, I want you to come and keep praying over my daughter. Now, I don't know. I never talked to her. I don't know if she was a Christian or not. But something about me being obedient there sparked something in her that said, what that man has is what my daughter needs, even though she's in medical care with people who know what she needs. So I just find that so amazing. That story doesn't have a miracle at the end of it that I know of. But every time we choose to be obedient, there's something of the Father's heart and there's something released from heaven. Just to tell you a little bit about my testimony, I got a pretty wild testimony, you guys. You know why it's wild? Because Jesus has made me look a lot like him. That's why it's wild. I've, I've come to learn from abiding with Papa God and from being with Holy Spirit that our testimony is not wild because of the depth of sin we came out of. It's wild because of how much of the nature of Christ we take on. That's what makes it wild. And mine's wild. <laughs> and so uh, I was born uh, a pastor's kid, which is a really awesome thing. And uh, when I was about, you know, who's, who's in my class? Where my, where my, everyone in my class here? Back here. These kids are awesome. Uh, I was about a little bit older than them. I was 12 years old. Raised in the church. Uh, went to children's church. Knew all the Bible verses. Uh, did the church thing. It, it was working out okay for me. But then I was 12 years old, laying in bed one night, and I thought, you know, I don't really get this God stuff. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And the world seems really fun. The world seems like they do a, real, a lot of really cool stuff I'm not supposed to do. And so me having the adventuresome spirit that I have, uh, I was like, I think I'm just going to kind of not follow God and just kind of explore what the world has. And maybe when I understand when I'm older, maybe in like my early, I mean, literally thinking this as a 12-year-old, maybe in like my early 20s, I'll, uh, I'll think about following God. I didn't realize it at the time, but I actually made an agreement with the enemy in that moment. And at that point, this spiritual stronghold of rebellion entered into me, and I started becoming rebellious. And that thing grew over time. And 
I started getting addicted to stuff like lying, stealing, uh, and then like it, it got really like the stealing got pretty bad to the point where when I was 15 or 16, I helped count the offering at church, and I was stealing money, cash, out of the offering at church. That's like the unpardonable sin, you guys. There's nothing you can do. You can murder people, and you won't get the same reactions. You stole money from where? What? <laughs> like, seriously. You know I'm free because I could be so open about this stuff, you know? Uh, but then, you know, it, it progressed, and... The enemy has a way of slowly taking you deeper into darkness. And so, you know, it's, it started, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it started with uh, alcohol abuse and partying, relationships, kept going, harder drugs, harder drugs, in and out of jail, in and out of rehab. My best friend, I move out because I'm like, this is a bad deal. He's my roommate, and right after I move out, he gets arrested for robbing a bank. He gets out of jail five years later, and gets murdered the first month he's out of jail. My friends are running drugs. This is the sort of life I was living. Uh, and I was totally hopeless, totally hopeless. And, you know, beneath all that stuff, you know, that's kind of like the all ooh, ah stuff. But really, beneath all that, it's, it's a broken heart. It's a hopeless, broken heart. And the longer I lived, the worse it got. And so I kind of came to this reality that I, I'm probably going to die young. And it's probably a good thing. Because the longer I live, the more pain I cause my family. The longer, the, the longer I live, the less good memories my family will have to talk about at my funeral. That was, that was what I lived in, in my heart. And so, you know, it's a funny thing when you grow up in the church. You think you know everything. You just think you, you figured it all out. Well, I, I ended up at a place when I was uh, 23 years old, which is funny because back when I was 12 years old, I was like, I think maybe when I'm in my early 20s, I'll pay attention. And here at 23 years old, I mean, I had several encounters with a demonic, but I had a really significant one. And uh, just spoiler alert, like... The demonic is really real, you guys. And if you come from drug culture or you come from a lot of countries that aren't the U.S., it's a lot more real. Uh, but it's really real. And so I was, uh, I moved back into my parents' house, had no car, had no job. I was homeless before that. My parents said if I tried to make a change in my life, you know, I could move back in with them. Uh, I had had, I got two DUIs in the same month. You're like, how do you even do that, man? Stupidity. Stupidity is how I did that. Uh, so I lost my license for a lot of years, and I moved back into my parents' house. And I had this encounter that, that kind of changed my life where I was laying in bed. And, I mean, I knew the demonic was real, but I literally had a presence come in the room and push me down into my bed and choke my neck. And I heard the audible hissing of snakes in my ear. And it was just like this eerie fear that entered the room. This is real stuff. And I was terrified. I was utterly terrified. And all I, knew to do, all I knew to do was say the name Jesus. And I whispered the name Jesus out of my mouth, and it stopped. And at this point, you know, you know there's a battle between God and the demonic over your soul and over your life. But when something like that happens, that reality becomes... <laughs> A different kind of reality. 
becomes a very real reality. And so that next morning, I got on my knees, and I said, God, there's got to be more to you than what I've known and what I've been taught. And either, you know, everything I've known of you so far hasn't been enough to get me out of addiction. It hasn't been enough to heal my heart. It hasn't been enough to pull me out of the darkness. And so either there's more of you than I know, or I feel like I have no reason to live. Because if this is all there is, I don't want it. And he spoke really clearly to me. This is the first time I heard him speak. And he said, there is more to me. And he's been waiting to meet you. I want to introduce you to my Holy Spirit. And in my basement, my parents' basement, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit like that. I didn't know what that was. I grew up in a Baptist church. I didn't know what speaking tongues was. I don't know any of that stuff. And so I totally freaked my parents out the next six months of my life. They were like, what happened? Is he on drugs again? <laughs> but, but I just had this encounter, this power encounter. My desire for hard drugs left instantly. I never wanted hard drugs again. But my desire for lust and pornography and smoking weed and other stuff didn't leave right away. So I'm like, I don't know, God, what's up with that? There's a process behind that. Uh, but I had that encounter, and, and the first thing he told me was, I don't want you to go get involved in church. Because I pastors, kids, you think, oh, I'm sold out, giving my life to the Lord. I got to go become a pastor, or youth leader, or worship minister, or something like that. He said, I want you to spend the next six months alone with me in your room. And I did. I was obedient. I spent the next six months, and that was the beginning of a wild, wild journey of becoming Abba Papa God's child and getting to see what he's like and getting to watch Holy Spirit decimate the strongholds of darkness in my life. Yeah, that's so good. So good. Thank you, Jesus. And so that's a little bit about my testimony. Now, there's a few things I want to highlight about my testimony that I felt like Father God specifically wanted me to share today. we got a lot of parents here. There's this story in the Bible where, there's, where Jesus and the disciples come to this room, and there's a blind man. And they, they look to Jesus, and they don't say, hey, there's a blind man, Jesus, we should heal him. They look at him, and they say, so Jesus... Is it because of his sins or because of his parents' sins that he has this problem? And I want to break something off today, and that's the, fact, the, the, the stronghold that the enemy has over us as parents, if we give it to him, of the power of our kids' choices over our life. I was raised in an amazing home with loving parents. There's nothing I can trace back that my parents did that caused me to make the choices I made. And more than that, if you look, I love the story of the prodigal son. I love it so much. But oftentimes, we, we focus on either the prodigal son and how jacked up and how messed up he was, or the goodness of the father when the prodigal son returns and, you know, he he picked up his robe and ran, and there's all the symbolism of the ring and the robe and the party and all that. But there's a part of the story that's not often focused on, and that is 
that this father is illustrating God, a perfect father, and his son chose to leave. And he didn't try to control his son. He didn't try to make his son obey. He didn't try, he didn't force his son into what's best for his son. He created space for his son because he believed in what he had instilled in his son. And sometimes we need to hear that because we, most of our kids are young right now. Some of us have a little bit older kids. But as our kids get older, man, I love hanging out with these guys. I love it because they're in this stage where they're like, they got hard questions and they're trying to figure it out. And they just, they need freedom and space to ask hard stuff and to process and to work it out and to learn how to work, like ask Holy Spirit questions and all this stuff. And it's so good. But as we get older, who here never made something they, a choice they regretted when they were a kid? Yeah, important case. Our kids are going to make choices. And it's not our job to force things on them. It's not our job to control them. It's our job to say, what did Jesus say to the disciples? He said it's for God's glory, because God's going to get glory from this story. That can be the anchor through whatever, wherever our kids take us. And so I just want to speak that. And I also just want to pray, Father God, I thank you that we get to be parents I pray protection and grace over each parent in this room because we're going to be challenged with things that we're not prepared for. And that's not a bad thing. That just means we get to learn how to lean on you, Holy Spirit. That just means we get to, to hear and learn to be obedient out of love for our kids. And so, Father God, I just pray also protection over our kids that lying demonic spirit that came to me when I was 12 years old, God, I just pray you would protect our kids. I have authority over that spirit because I've seen him destroyed and I know what he does. And so I just pray in your name, Jesus, in every single child's life in this, in this house, that that assignment would be canceled and that lying demon would be pushed back from the door of every home represented here. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Oh, I love that, you guys. I love it. It's so good. So I had this radical encounter, and now I'm learning, like, I'm learning to hear God, you guys. Like, he's speaking to me. I'm hearing the creator of the world. And I'm learning to be obedient. Obedience is really hard. There's, like, a lot of fear that comes with obedience. There's a lot of unknowns that come with obedience. And so one of the first times I, I really had a challenge was uh, about nine months after I got wrecked, I, God brought me into the relationship with this mentor that really helped me. He, like, could explain to me all the crazy stuff that was happening to me in my room, and no one else knew, like, knew what to tell me. And so he's like, you know, I'm going to take you somewhere where there's other people your age that go through the stuff you're going through. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. He's like, I'm going to take you and introduce you to this place called Bethel in Reading. And so I went with him and drove down. I lived in Washington at the time. I drove down and went and uh, visited Bethel and heard about BSSM, the School of Supernatural Ministry. And man, I was like lit. I was like, this is the place for me. You know, like, I'm normal here. 
like everybody's like me here. It's amazing. Like these are my people, you know? And, and I'm like, obviously, you know, I'm at home. I have no license, no job, live in the basement of my parents' house. I'm 24 this time, 23, just about 24. I'm like, man, this is the place for me, God. Thank you for bringing me here and revealing to me my destiny. Uh, and then I said, God, do you want me to go to school here? And he said, no. I don't want you to go to school here right now. And I was like, wow, why, God? And he didn't give me an answer. Sometimes he just tells you something and leaves it to you to wrestle with. And so I was like, okay, I won't go there. And, and I ended up <laughs> doing something very humbling. And I went back and I joined a halfway house as a person in the program. I mean, I had been now nine months broken free of addiction, like flying in the spirit with God in my room and dancing and like full of all this life. Just that life is so far, it's like nine months back behind me. And God gave me the opportunity to enter a program where my roommates would be fresh off the street homeless young men, fresh out of treatment homeless young men or fresh out of jail men. And I would be, they would be my peers. That was a hard thing because, you know, I had had nine months of really working out of that stuff. Uh, but I chose. I, I, I obey God, which I, I'm so glad I did. And I, I spent uh, the next two and a half years there. I actually graduated the program. They asked me to be on staff. And I ended up getting to work with, like, 28 separate young men and just, like, release the love of God in their life, watch them. Some of them get transformed. Some of them go back and make terrible decisions that break my heart. But I got this sweet opportunity. And so... But, you know, Bethel never left me. I was like, the kingdom culture that's at Bethel is my culture. I'm part of the kingdom culture. So what I did is I bought every book I could find, and I listened to every sermon I could get my hands on from Chris and from Bill and from all the different teachers at Bethel. And so for two and a half years, I literally, like, did the school on my own as best as I could. And it was transforming my life. I was seeing miracles, and I was like spending, you know, I would go out in the woods and build a fire, and I would just dance and worship around the fire with my guitar all night long, just singing. Like one song. That's all I needed. It just was like this sweet season in life. And so three years later, I'm uh, driving along, and and I have to decide whether or not I'm going to sign another contract for like a year for this program and be on staff and, and be one of the, the program managers. And I'm driving along. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Should I go back to school? Should I? Because uh, I was looking at the community college. Never went, to, never went to college at all at that point. And or should I, you know, stay in this ministry? It's so much fun. And I'm just like wrestling. And God spoke to me. You know what he said? Can anyone guess what he said? He said, it's time to go to Bethel. I was like, what? That makes no sense now. Like, I've already done it. It's in me. I don't need that now. Why would I go there now? Like, I was so confused, you know? I know now why I went back. She's sitting in the front row. 
Kristen I met, and when I first asked God to go to BSSM, she was not walking with God. I would not have met her there. And so once again, you just learn that as he tells you things that don't make sense at all, you just get to be obedient. And so a few stories. I'll tell you a few stories from BSSM. Oh, that's so fun, you guys. Like, I had, I, yeah, like Candyland. You know, I had this, Krista can attest to this. She tells a story a little bit different than I do. But I had this sweet prayer garden that I had made in the backyard of the house I lived at. And there was a hammock in it and hummingbird feeders. And I just would go on the hammock and just spend time with the Lord. This was before kids, so I had time. <laughs> and it was just like this sweet place. And, and I just loved it. I started dating Krista. And I was like, yeah, I have this sweet place in my house. It's got this hammock in it. And she's from SoCal. And she's thinking like a pool and you know, like a nice beach hammock or something. And I go and show her, and she's like, her eyes get real big. It's like literally a hole inside of like berry bushes with a little hammock hung between it. <laughs> Pretty much. But I got, literally, I got more out of my time in that hammock than I got out of all of two years at BSSM. Maybe because I already got so much before I went. But my time with God in that hammock was so sweet. I, would, I slept out there all winter. My roommates thought I was nuts. I would get these big blankets and just go, oh, I'm just going to go be with the Lord. They're like, dude, it's snowing outside. It's, it's rain is pouring. I put like this uh, little tarp over it. <sighs> sweet. That's so sweet, you guys. So if you're not married and you don't have kids and you want to encounter God, just saying, it was really awesome. Uh, so, so first, first year, we're at school. This is maybe two or three weeks into school. I'm in the front row of the auditorium, and we're worshiping, and there's this girl standing next to me worshiping, about the same age as me, and I hear God speak. And I'm single at this point, and he says, I want you to tell that girl next to you that I want to heal her broken heart. I'm not going to say that, Lord. <laughs> That's like the creepiest thing any guy could ever say to a girl he's never met before. <laughs> Seriously. Like, the thoughts going through my mind are like, no, no, God, that's weird. Like, I get like the Creep of the Year award. And I literally wrestled with him through like half an hour of worship. Just like him being like, yeah, yeah, I want you to do that. No, no, God, I don't think I can do that. And I learned to wrestle with God. Wrestling with God is a sweet thing. He doesn't make us. He lets us wrestle with him. He gives us space to figure it out. And so at the end of the service, uh, or at the end of the worship, I, I turned to her. I said, uh, you know, I just, I feel like God is saying that he, he really wants to heal your broken heart. And she broke down into tears, which is always a weird thing. You don't know where this is going. You know, if you just, like, opened up some massive wound, like, relationship wound or what's going on. But she went on to tell me, she said, since birth, I've had a heart condition. And my heart condition causes me to not be able to do anything that gets my heart rate up. So I've never been able to participate in sports. 
even like worship, even things I have to really be careful because if my heart rate goes too high, I have a high risk of heart attack because of the condition that my heart's in. And I was like, oh, God, that totally makes sense you would tell me to tell her that. I felt so relieved. I was not ready to do like a relationship sozo with some girl I just met next to me. I didn't even know what that was at the time. So, but, so I prayed over her. I just prayed a simple prayer. Lord, you want to heal her heart? I just partner with that, and I just release that healing over her. And three months later, I went to play basketball at a gym nearby at a college. And she was playing basketball at the gym. She was on the, she was running. I was like, oh my goodness. I like ran up to her. I was like, what's going on? She, I thought you can't play sports. And she's like, yeah, after you prayed for me, I just felt the presence of God. And I just felt like the Lord said that you're healed. And so I went that day and I just, I ran around and I was okay. My heart didn't get really fast paced. And then I went to my doctor and then they ran the test and they said, you're like, they didn't say you're healed, but they're like, we don't know what happened, but your condition is gone as far as we can tell. Now God wanted to heal her and he wanted to use me, but there's a lot of fear in between me and her with the word he gave me. Like I said, usually obedience has some level of fear involved. Is this good? You guys like these stories so far? Because I got lots of them. So in between first year and second year at school, I actually, when I went down there, I was planning to just go to school for a year. And I was going to go back home. Uh, but at, towards the end of the first year, I felt like God told me to stay a second, you know, go back for a second year. And that was actually even before Chris and I had started dating because we started at the, the end of the first year of school. And I'm like, okay, Lord, so I'm going to stay here for another year. Uh, part of my process for getting ready for school, because I didn't really have much money. Actually, when I was in that, that program, the halfway house program, uh, they helped me work to pay over $7,000 of debt off to the courts in order for me to work on getting my license back, which was really awesome. So I had my license when I left, and I did that by cutting firewood. I'm really good at cutting firewood, you guys. <laughs> and I would have these sweet times where I, I worked an eight-hour day. I was the program overseer at a ranch, a 400-acre horse ranch. And so I would take these guys in the program, and I would go teach them work skills teach them how to do fences and build buildings and fix things and use tools so that way when they graduated the program they would be able to have some skills to get a job. Uh, and so where was I going with that? Oh yeah, so cutting firewood. So for school I would go in two hours early and I would stay two hours late every day and I would go use the tractor, pull fallen trees out of the woods, cut them with a chainsaw, split them, stack them, and sell them, and that's, I did that every day for several months to save up the money to go to Bethel so I could afford school. And so when God said, uh, I want you to go to another year, I didn't have any money for another year. And so at the time, I was working at Home Depot in Reading, and that was basically just paying for my expenses. So I'm laying in bed. School's, school's about just about over. I'm laying in bed, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, God, if, uh, if I get one more job or maybe two more jobs and then I work all summer as much as I can, I can save up. And by the end of the summer, I'll probably have enough to pay for school. And God spoke to me so clearly. And he said, 
you're asking the wrong questions. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what are the right questions, God? <laughs> and he said, this is so cool, you guys. He said, if you could do anything you want to do this summer, what would you do? And I thought about it, and I was like, well, I grew up backpacking. I love backpacking. Uh, and I've always had a dream of backpacking in Alaska. I was like, God, if I could do anything this summer, I would go backpacking in Alaska. And he goes, okay, well, what could you do in Alaska? Like, what skills do you have that you could use in Alaska? And I, I was like, well, I've grown up my whole life fishing. I know fishing. I love salmon fishing. And, and God said, okay, then. Why don't you try and get a job in Alaska fishing? <clears throat> I was like, okay. So the next day I went to school, and my revival group pastor was from Alaska. And I walked up to him. This is really the next day. And I said, uh, I think I want to try and go fish up in Alaska for the summer. Would you have any idea how I would go about getting like, in contact with a boat captain, someone that I could like, interview with or something? Literally, in this conversation with him, and his phone gets a text. The text is from one of his best friends that lives in Alaska that's a boat captain. And the text said, do you know of anyone in your revival group that would want to come up and work on my boat for the summer? <laughs> so that afternoon I had a job in Alaska working on a fishing boat where I would work for three days and then there would be a break where the boat captain literally just dropped me off on islands and I would go backpacking with a shotgun by myself and just explore these massive islands. And I spent the whole summer, and I made way more money than I would have made if I tried to get three jobs in Reading and work my butt off. Now, I still worked my butt off. We got over 100,000 over 100, pounds of salmon with two people over the summer. But it just goes to show that sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. And God wants us to learn how to ask the right questions. So, oh man, I'm going to run out of time. And so, uh, so I'm in Alaska, you guys. I'm in this beautiful harbor, and there, there's these, all these docks with these big fishing boats lined up. And I am deep in, like, Alaskan fishing culture, like big bearded men and captains and... Captain Morgan, and Jack Daniels is next door. And <laughs> it's a pretty wild, like, group of guys. And so I'm, like, on the dock, and here, you know, I'm, like, just this Jesus-loving kind of you know, hippie-looking person. And, and uh, I'm on the dock one day, and I'm just worshiping God. I had the headphones on. And I'm literally dancing up and down this dock like twirling and worshiping and there's like all these boats parked with all these like crews and and I'm like and like I hear this I hear someone yell so I like take my headphones out and this this guy's like hey hey come over here and I'm like okay so I walk over and he's like he's like come in my boat and I'm like okay this is kind of weird so I like walk in his boat it's just this um I don't know maybe like 55-year-old boat captain, and uh, I walk in his boat. There's, like, 
a deckhand that's taking shots of Jack Daniels. There's a guy that's smoking weed. And then there's this captain who's got weed he's smoking, but wasn't smoking it at the time. So I walk in this room. It's not a room, it's a boat. It's like the hull of his boat. And, uh, and he looks at me. I'll never forget this look. He looks at me and he goes, you're lit. I'm like, lit? No, I don't, I don't have any drugs. I don't have anything. He's like, no, you know Jesus. He goes, I want you to pray for me and my crew right now. And his eyes were like big. And I started praying for him, and he just started crying. And then I started praying for the other one that was taking shots. And then he started crying. And I'm like, what is going on here? Well, it turns out when they were younger, they had both been part of Youth with a Mission and had an amazing relationship with Jesus. And then life happened. They got married. They had kids. They've been working on the ocean and this culture for years and years and years. And they saw me. And just watching me dancing on the dock, they're like, we want it back. And so I had these several encounters, and then they were introducing me to people there. And I got to pray and prophesy over several boat captains. It was amazing, you guys. It was so cool. And again, all this goes back to that simple obedience in the bed of, of Jesus saying, you're asking the, the wrong question. This is what I want you to do. Another challenging thing that we deal with with being obedient is fear. I have had the privilege of wrestling with fear as a sacrifice of my love for Jesus for a lot of years. When I first got wrecked and met Holy Spirit, about two or three months in after that, God spoke to me clearly and he said, I'm going to have you speak. And I was like, no, I will give you all my life. I will die for you, but I will not speak in front of people. It's off limits, God. Sorry. And see, I had this situation when I was like 15 uh, where I was asked, my older brother was my youth pastor, and I was asked to lead worship for a youth group, and I was by myself with a guitar. And I failed so miserably, you guys. I failed so miserably, and I was so embarrassed that in that moment, I swore I would never be in front of people again. And that became a stronghold that was reinforced and reinforced. Like, I turned down the opportunity to speak, to, to speak at my older brother's wedding about my thoughts about him in front because I was terrified. This was the biggest fear in my life was being in front of people. So I was like, no, God, I'm not going to speak, let alone sing <laughs> or play instruments. That was like way out of off limits. And so like I'm in this church service, and during this church service in Washington, the pastor stops his service, points me out, and starts prophesying over me. God speaks to me, and he says, you're going to be a worship pastor. And this stronghold is so strong in me 
that I translated that as like, oh, I'm going to lead a generation of worshipers in true worship and spirit. And I never thought like I would actually sing in front of people. Like that's how strong it was. It was so out of the question for me. And so I wrestled with God. It took, it took about six, seven months of wrestling with God before I came to the point where I was like, okay, God, if you bring the opportunity, I'll say yes to speaking in front of people. And even if I fall on my face, it's worth it to be obedient to you. And that next day, I had someone call me from the camp I worked at and said, our kid's teacher is sick and can't make it to camp. Would you want to teach these 40 kids? And that was my first opportunity. And I started. And I went and taught these kids. I actually had a great time. Uh, they threw pine cones at me. And because we, we were outside, I don't think they got much out of it. Uh, I was terrified. Um, but here's the thing, and this is really important. This is really, really important, you guys. Our destiny is locked with a lock of fear. And we have to learn to be obedient because it's our faith and action that God partners with with his power to break that lock. Because we don't actually have the power to break those strongholds by ourselves. We can't break a single spiritual stronghold by ourselves. He's the only one who can. But he wants us to learn to walk with him and partner with him. And so I've done that. And it's amazing. I mean, I've had the opportunity to speak to probably thousands of people. And I love today public speaking, like preaching, speaking, teaching, any of it. I love it all. It's like my favorite thing to do because I got so much to share. I don't need notes. Just I don't even need a microphone. Just give me some people that want to hear me. And I'm like ready to go <laughs> because what Jesus has done. God always knew that's what he had for me, but the enemy tried to come in early and snatch it away. And so I look back to nine years ago when I was driving the car and I'll have you come up, Krista. And God's saying, it's time to go to Bethel. And I look now and I think of all the fruit of saying yes to that. I look at my kids. I look at my community. I think about the hundreds, if not thousands of people I've been able to impact with the love of Jesus, who I've gotten to be and grow into because of saying yes to that word nine years ago. And two Fridays ago, God spoke to us again. He spoke to me really clearly. He woke me up at 5 a.m., and I know it was him because my alarm was set for 7. <laughs> and I got kids. That's a miracle in itself. But he woke me up, and I just had this, like, sweet time of just prayer, and I was just worshiping him and reading the word and just in his presence. And, and at the end of it, he spoke clearly again. He said, I want you to start preparing to move, and I want you to move your family to Michigan. And again, I was like, God, why? Michigan is cold in Michigan. 
What is in Michigan that we need to be there for? And it was just like, and bam, all the fear came with it. What's Krista going to say? God, you need to give her a dream or something. Like you did that in the Bible for, yeah, angelic vision or something. Because to uproot your family from what God's given us here and to move across the nation just because he said to do it is a pretty tall order. And so, and so he does. But you know, when God speaks, he just, he's so wild in his love and his provision. And so I told, I, I prayed about it. I actually didn't tell Chris until the next day because I didn't know what to do with this word. I didn't know, is this like, you know, are we talking the next five years, God? Like in the next year, six months maybe? And, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to have to find another job because my job the, the job I do, you have to be in a really big city. And so, you know, like, L.A. is great for it because there's so much business. I consult business owners on, on there. But you go to a, a town of, like, 70 or 80,000 people or a small town, and there's just no options for that there. And so Krista does have some family in Kalamazoo, and we felt like God was highlighting Kalamazoo. And so he, he confirmed it in a few ways. Not like, he didn't like confirm it like, thus saith the Lord, or someone came up to us, it's like, the, you know, God told me you're supposed to move to Michigan. And it's like, oh, thank you for that word of confirmation. It was like little things, but it was several little things to where you notice it's God saying something on it. And so we felt like we should push on some doors and just see like what, what this would look like. God, what would this even look like? And so I, I scheduled a meeting with my boss on Tuesday after that Friday. And you guys, talk about, I was honest with my boss. She's, I don't think she's a Christian. Hopefully she is now, but I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it's, it's cool to have a boss I felt comfortable to be honest with. But I was like, you know, my, I'm seriously thinking about moving my family to Michigan and, uh, you know, officially we have some family there and we just feel like we want to be over near, near family over there. I'm trying to think of what to tell her, you know, what's an official reason I can give. But unofficially, uh, last Friday I was in prayer and God told me to move my family across the nation. <laughs> Long pause on that phone call. And then she's like, well, I guess if God tells you to move your family across the nation, you should probably do it. And like instant anxiety. What have I just done? I've just jeopardized my job. And she thinks I'm crazy. I'm hearing people and God. And, and so she's like, well, you know, in that area, we don't have, there's no work that I know of in that area. But I'll talk to my manager and we can reach out and see. I work for Travelers Insurance, so it's a nationwide company. And so I was like, okay. So the next morning, she sends me an email and says, I need to schedule a meeting with you because I talked to the manager and I want to let you, or the vice president, I want to let you know how, how it went. And so I'm like, oh man, this was like the next day. So I'm like, they're just going to tell me there's nothing available. Obviously, this is way too fast because if there was something available, I'd have to interview it for it and go through a process. And so I get on the phone with her. And she says, this is on Thursday, and she says, I talked with the VP, the VP talked with the regional VP, and 
this is kind of amazing, but there's one position for what you do in all of the Michigan area, and the person who has that position has just left the company, and he was in Kalamazoo. And you can have the job, and we'll hold it for you. You just let us know when your family can get there, and you'll have your same job. This. <laughs> now, when I got my job for Travelers, it was like three or four months of full-time work to try to find a job. You know, I don't know if any of you have been through that, but it's like 30, 40 applications, interviewing all over the place, trying to find something. And so this was six days from when God gave me that word Friday morning, in six days. And I love my job. So when he gave me that word, one of the first things, you know, there's a few things. I'm going to have to leave my job. I'm going to have to leave my community. I'm going to have to live in the winter. I'm going to have to be with snow. I'm like, God, you brought Christian and Sue. You brought so many people here from Chicago. Why would you move us there where they came from? They just tell us about how horrible it was. <laughs> it's true. And so, uh, and so it's a really bittersweet thing. You know, we've, we've both, you know, last week I knew I was on the ground through all of worship, and I was just sobbing on the ground, pilot, puddle tears on the ground, because I'm just thinking about you guys. Just thinking about what we're going to be leaving. And God just spoke to me so clearly, and he just said, you're always going to miss these people in this place, and you're never going to go to another place like this. And so we're working on plans to go, and Christian's going to finish the service. <laughs> uh, but, but I just, you know, I share this because it's such a beautiful thing. We, at the depths of our hearts, we all want to hear our Father's voice. And we all want to have the strength and the courage to step over the fear, to say yes, even though we don't know what it looks like. And God hasn't told us much about what it looks like and why we're going. But one thing that's cool is, is we started telling a few people, and multiple people started prophesying over our kids with confirmed, like, the same word over Axton, where they said, you're not, God's not just calling you there for you, but he's got a plan for your kids. And this is part of it. And when God speaks like that and confirms it from different people at different times, it's just so amazing. It's such an honor to get to give everything he's given us. And I'm so thankful. I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to be for us to be with you guys, to worship with you guys, to get to joyfully go to the Father and say, what do you want to bring? What do you want to release? Fill me with it so I can go release it. <laughs> and that's what we've gotten to do. Do you want to share anything? Okay. Okay. It's not their last Sunday today, so we can cry more later. 
but what, what I did want to do, I know we've been going a little long, but with, with what he was sharing that was so perfect, and as kids come in, um, I want to close with, with just a few thoughts. Uh, and, and that is some of you, worship team and some of the leaders, I, I sent out a message just, um, we just processed this for the first time after church with them last Sunday. So this is fresh for us and we want it to be, you know, we, we, wa- we don't want to do this alone. We don't want them to do this alone. Uh, but as they said, as, as, uh, as a family ourselves that have had to uproot where our children were born, most of them, and, and move across the country for obedience to the Lord with not seeing all the things on the other side. It's so important. You know, we, we mentioned you know, over COVID, 40% of our people moved out of California for many different reasons. And one of the things in those dark, dark COVID days where we're meeting online for the 400th time and I'm wondering what the flip am I doing? Another thing online again, and where are my people and everyone's leaving, or at least it feels that way, right? I just said, Lord, make us the kind of community because I know we're in a transit place. It's a major city. And it's not easy to be here, but make us the kind of place when you move people on, make it clear and make it difficult for them to say goodbye. And it, we probably had our sweetest season with this couple in just the last four, five, six months. As, as, as an eldership team, we just kind of came out of COVID going, what are we, what are we really going after? And... And in many ways, we kind of knew, they, they, the Lord told us a couple years ago, they're not going to be here forever. We're going to have to get used to uh, launching people. And, you know, what, what got settled in our spirit, though, was that that had purpose attached to it. It had obedience attached to it. It had a worthwhile cause attached to it. And the invitation for every single one of you today, even with their story, is when you say yes to him, when you're obedient to the calls and purposes of God, even when you don't see what's on the other side, when you don't see what the current season and the struggles are doing, what it has is this inner knowing, this external affirmation from your father saying that everything you've said yes to is worth it. And I'm going to use all your screw-ups, all your years of the past, all your questions, and all your faithfulness. And I'm going to align myself to it. I'm going to bring fruit out of it. I'm going to bring beauty out of it. And there's not even a single hesitation in us. We've got three things that we're dealing with right now. First is the emotion. These are our friends. They have massive shoes to fill. But first and foremost, we're not worrying about that. We're just, we're just processing launching our friends well. And we just encourage all of you to just be present with the emotions of it all. And that's okay. It's a shock, and it's, and it's going to be a process. We have until October, I think. October 1 is their, their soft date at the moment. Secondly, uh, affirmation. The, the, the team, uh, Sue and I and the, and the elders, we all affirm this is of God. And, and when, when, when you have big things, you don't want to do that alone. And you also want people to affirm God's voice and God's direction. So we do that. And we feel like without seeing everything, some of his stories today were perfect of just like knowing something's of God without knowing exactly what it's going to look like. And we affirm that. And then, and then thirdly, there's a real reality that as I spent time with the Lord this week, my tears, when I was trying to be upset, I mean, not all of our emotions are just like all good and bad. Sue got a little bit more pissed. I got more like on another range. And just to be real, and, and not at them, just, you know, more, you know, at God. And um, my, my emotions, I was trying to be pissed. But every time I got with the Lord, I just felt utter thanks. Because he's not caught off guard. 
this is of him, and therefore, what I have in front of me, my destiny, and what all of you have in front of you is absolutely good, and God's hand is on it. His hand is on them, his hand is on us, and he's got plenty of fruit for all of us. And so when you get into that place of thanks, you can see and you can feel the momentum in the heart of God. So I just invite you into that process, and that's where we're at. And then just to remember, this is a huge sacrifice on their part. They're not moving to a place that's easier. The only thing that's easier is it's easier to buy a house. I think that's the only thing easier. The winter's going to suck. Everything about that is going to, I'm just letting, I've told them, I'm just. And they're, they're saying about a family. They're saying about our family. They're saying about a Christus family right here. And then they're getting further away from Jerry's family. This is a huge sacrifice on their part. They're not going for convenience. They're going because of obedience. So would you stand with me and stretch out your hands towards them? And as you do, receive for, your, for yourself, every single one of you, the fresh call as a follower of Jesus to be obedient to his voice, obedience to the tension of where you're at right now, the obedience to the tensions of what you don't understand. And we say, Jesus, thank you that you use every single thing in our lives to bring about purpose. Thank you for the obedience of this couple and how they came here, how they met each other, how your timing is perfect, and how they are saying yes to unknowns with confidence and with tension. May every single one of us be the kinds of people that can say yes in confidence and intention with questions because faith is ultimately surrender and trust. We surrender and trust you with them. They surrender and trust themselves to you and each and every one of us. For as long as we are here in this city as a community, we will surrender and trust you in the purposes of God to transform every single life before us. And we unveil our hearts as much as they don't understand the pain, the emotions, and yet we anchor ourselves on thanksgiving. What a gift. They're such a gift. And we just ask for the transition, the shoes, and all the details to be overwhelmed with your hand and your voice. And we pray all this, and all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. Yeah, you can give... A hand. <laughs>